0: Give it up for the moms one more time. Hey, Mom. Can, can we just get something out of the way right up front? Can we just come to agreement about one thing? Being a mom has got to be the most stressful job on the planet. Can I get an amen or a hand clap? Or, I mean, let's be honest with you. The, 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 the constant time uh, demands, the, the TV stereotypes, the unrealistic expectations that families put on them, uh, and even the cultural attitudes sometimes That say, you're just a mom, that's all you do, you're just a mom. Add to that all the responsibilities of motherhood, and the, the the result is that it can be incredibly stressful. And can we be honest about something else while we're doing it? Church doesn't always help. Sometimes added to all of those kinds of stresses, Christian moms are expected to read their bibles every day have a quiet time every day they're they're expected to disciple a young mother somewhere they're expected to sing in the choir and rock the babies in the nursery and come to church and make sure their kids act just perfectly during church right and then when they get home do work in the yard and not get dirty (laughs) and never get grumpy never get irritable come on let's give it up for the moms one more time Deborah Lewis wrote a book called Motherhood Stress. If some of you moms are stressed, you may want to pick it up sometimes. It's a good book. She said, I've talked with rich mothers and poor mothers, brand new mothers and grandmothers, mothers of one and mothers of nine, stay-at-home mothers and mothers with two careers, single mothers raising their children all alone, and happily married mothers with wonderfully supportive husbands. Whatever the circumstances, when it comes to stress, they all have it. Thank you. Mom. Look at somebody and say, thank you, Mom. We're in a series. We're kicking off a brand new series today. We're calling Dysfunctional Family, but we're cutting the slash out of the disc, and we're going to become functional families. And what we're going to be doing between now and Father's Day is we're going to be talking about uh, some of the typical dysfunctions of the family unit. We're going to be looking at a biblical character every week, uh, during uh, this series, that had one of those dysfunctions in their families and how they began to break free from it, or in some cases they didn't, and we're just going to learn how. We're going to be focusing on how we can become the functional families that God has called us to be and, quite frankly, that we want to be. But let's just, let's just get one more honest thing out of the way. Can we do that? If you take an imperfect person and connect them with an imperfect person in marriage, do you get a perfect family? Two imperfects doesn't make it perfect, right? Doesn't do it. And then if you add some more siblings into that or some more offspring into that, does that make it perfect? No, it's a bunch of imperfect people doing their best. That's what it amounts to. And that's why families can be so incredibly stressful no matter what Hollywood says. So leading up to Father's Day, we're going to learn about stresses. But more importantly, we're going to try to find some answers to those stresses. Pastor Farrell will be back next week. He's visiting with family for Mother's Day this weekend. And I know you'll look forward to celebrating and welcoming him back home uh, next week. If you want a manuscript of the message or any of these messages, go to info at uh, You can get today's outline. I don't know if you guys uh, live in this world or not, but if you've got a smartphone, an iPad, and you use the U-Version Bible app, go there right now, click on events, go to Princeton, and you can follow along with me today. All of the outline, all of the scriptures, place for you to capture your own notes is there for you that live in the digital age. Take a a, a piece of that. So we just thought it would be cool to start the Dysfunctional Family Series on Mother's Day, talking about mothers. That makes sense, right? But I, I, I think it's important that you understand my target audience this morning is not moms. Moms, you can relax. All together, moms, you're not my target today. My target audience is all of you who have moms. Whether biological or step or adoptive or spiritual, how many of you in the room have or have had a mom in your life? God bless those hands. I see those hands. We had a thousand salvations in first service this morning. I saw their hands raised. (laughs) So that's who I'm talking to today. I want us all to understand the pressures. You'll pray for me. This is my my first Mother's Day since I lost my mom. What an incredible legacy of loving Jesus she left for me and I'm so blessed to have had her in my life for 87 years and I hope, I pray somehow that I did some of the things that we're going to be talking about today. I'm going to give you homework today and I want to beg you from my own perspective that if your mom's still around, again, biological step, adoptive, spiritual, if you've got a mom in your life, take this homework seriously and let's slash the dis from our dysfunctional and let's lean into our moms a little bit and bless them, okay? We're looking at, uh, at Sarah today, the wife of Abram, Abraham. Specifically, we're going to look at four uh, types of pressure that Sarah endured. And I think you're going to be interested to find that uh, while she lived almost 4,000 years ago, the pressures she experienced as a mom are identical to the pressures that moms experience in the 21st century. So let's get into it. Sarah faced four very specific pressures. Pressure number one, Sarah faced the pressure of infertility. She faced the pressure of infertility. Sarah was the wife of Abram, which means father of nations, but they didn't have any kids. And they were, they were married for many, many, many years, and they didn't have any kids. And, and they had all the pressures associated with wanting kids, believing they would one day have kids, but never having kids. And so when she finally overheard God's promise to Abram, she was over, over, overjoyed. Uh, Genesis chapter 16, verse 17. 16 to 17, I will bless her and give you a son by her. Abraham fell face down. He laughed and said to himself, will a son be born to a man 100 years old? Will Sarah bear a child at at age of 90? Do, Do you see the picture of that? Now, sometimes we read these historical things in the Bible and we just kind of blow past them. But do you see the picture of that? Here's Abram. He's 100 years old, close to it. And God is saying, I'm going to give you a son by your 90-year-old wife, Sarah. And what does he do? Fell face down. Come on, picture it. He went, boom, I'm face down. And there he's going to go on, Are you kidding me? I, you're, what? You're going to, uh, I'm 100. God, did you notice that I'm 100? Did you notice that my wife is, is 90? D- did you, I, I, you ever had God make you a promise and it makes no sense? You, you never had that? You ought to lean into that one. You ought to pray for him to do something that just surprises you sometimes. Because God will do that sometimes. He'll just give you a a promise that makes no sense whatsoever, but somehow deep in your spirit, you know it was God. And here's Abram getting a promise that makes no sense in the natural, but it's, it's real. Somebody said that Sarah was the only woman in history to pay her OBGYN with Social Security checks. I don't know if that's true or not, but... As exciting as that news was, it did not take off or, 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 or the, take off the pressure or negate the pressure of, of all those years that she wanted children and never had them. fact is, th- there's a nurturing instinct. In virtually every woman that I've ever met over the years, whether married or single, whether stay at home or career, there's just some desire that I believe God put into the heart of of women to nurture. There's this desire. And so for some moms, Mother's Day is the most difficult day of the year. I remember one couple in the previous church that I pastored came to me one day in tears and said, Pastor Jim, we love this place and we love you, but we have to leave. I said, well, I don't understand. Why do you have to go? They said, there are so many baby dedications in this church. It's just gotten where it's painful to come to church because they wanted a child so badly and we helped them find a good God-honoring church to be a part of. Hear me, guys. This is a bigger issue than some of us realize. Statistics tell me that that 25% of couples will seek some form of infertility treatment in their lifetime. 8% of couples are considered medically uh, incapable of having offspring. And we've all heard the expression, it's getting more common as days go by, uh, you know, your biological clock is ticking. Those are just some of the realities. Now, you add to that pressure of a desire to nurture, and in many cases, the inability, it seems, to have children, and then you got parents who were notorious for coming along and saying, when you go give us some grandbabies, come on, have us some grandbabies, when you go pop some of the babies out, right? And then friends who say, come on, ain't it time you get married? Have some babies? You've never done that, right? Don't look at me like you don't know what I'm talking about. In fact, I will tell you that if you fit one of those categories, then I got a verse for you. This is your verse. Write it down somewhere. Keep it to yourself. Put it on your refrigerator, whatever you got to do. First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 11 is your verse for the day. Make it your goal to lead a quiet life and mind your own business. <laughs> <coughs> How are we going to relieve the pressure? That's the bottom line, because that's what we're going to look at today's homework assignments. How are we going to relieve the pressure of any of those Wish they were want so badly to be moms who haven't been able to have children as yet simply put you just got to be sensitive to the pressure that creates first corinthians chapter 13 verse 4 says love say it with me love always protects if you love those ladies in your life protect those feelings because they are incredibly stressful for those ladies ready for number two Sarah faced the pressure of insecurity. She faced the pressure of insecurity. For most of Sarah's married life, she lived in a very secure setting. She was married to Abram, as I said, who's a very wealthy man. He was the son of Terah, who was one of the most respected men in the city of Ur. I don't know where they got that name from. I always go, "Ur? You live in Ur?" <laughs> well, I'm from Goldsboro. I'm from Princeton. I'm from Smithfield. I'm from Ur. What? You don't want to tell me the name? What's that about? But this is a big major city in those days, and Terah was one of the most respected men there. And then all of a sudden, Abram comes home one day and says to his wife, Sarah, we're moving. And she said, where are we going? He said, I don't know. Well, how far away is it? I don't know. What do we do now? I don't know. We're just We're just going. It's time. All Abram knew was what he'd heard from God. Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. The Lord said to Abram, leave your country, your people, and your father's household and go to the land. What does it say? That I will show you. In other words, I'll let you know when you get there. Well, that was enough for Abram. He'd heard from God, decided he would take that step of faith. And Sarah went along with it. But you ladies know the insecurities that it caused. Am I right? Am I right, ladies? I mean, all he's thinking about is, is God's called me and something awesome is going to happen, and she's thinking of all kinds of stuff. Truth is, guys, most of us don't have a clue what those pressures are. I heard the story some time ago about a businessman that got a big promotion, big promotion, big pay raise, big prestige, but they had to move to Houston, Texas, in order to take it. And so he grabbed the phone. First person he called, because his wife's his best friend, loves her to death, she picks up the phone, and he calls and says, honey, put on your best dress We are going out to party tonight. I just got a promotion and a raise. We're going to make three times the money we've been making. I'm going to have all this responsibility and opportunity, and it's just going to be amazing, so get ready for the party. I'm leaving the office now. I'll be there in a few minutes. All we got to do is move to Houston, Texas, and he hung up the phone, got in the car, and drove home. You ladies already know where this story's going, right? He gets to the house and he's just ready to, you know, pop the bubbly baby. We're going to party. And what does he find? She's in a fetal position in the living room crying. Why? Because she's thinking about family and friends and support groups and, and all the stuff that's defined her life that suddenly she's going to be uprooted from. Dr. Willard Hardy, uh, Harley wrote a book called His Needs, Her Needs. Some of you might be familiar with it. It's been around for a while. He said, one of the five basic needs of every wife and mother is security. Most men, you know, maybe lose their job. They go through some self-doubt, but they kind of have this, you know, I'll get a job. It'll work out. We'll be fine. But moms, you need to understand, worry about the kids from the day that news comes until the day you get another job. It's not guys that she doesn't trust you. It's that she needs security. Teenagers, got some teenagers in the house? When mom comes to you and says, where are you going? Who's driving? How long are you going to be gone? Who are you going with? What are you going to do while you're there? What time are you going to be home? She is not trying to get all up in your face. She just needs security. She's feeling insecure about where you are. And so what do you do? Answer her. Just answer her. And if you're trying to hide something from her, she may save you from a deep, deep problem that you don't even know is coming. Answer her. Give her some security. Husbands, when your wife says, can we we really afford that new gun? (laughs) Don't get all defensive. She's not challenging your manhood. Of course, I need a new gun. I ain't got no 1911 yet. I needed one in my collection. All she's doing is that she needs the security. She just needs you to say, yes, we can, and here's why. That's all she needs. She's glad for you to have that new gun. She just needs the security of knowing that you're taking And if you can't afford it and you're going to do it anyway, she just <laughs> saved you from a whole lot of big mistake. Come on, give me an amen. Our wives need security from us. When your wife, the mother of your children, asks you questions like, do we have enough life insurance? She's not planning to kill you. <laughs> she just needs to know or me and the kid's going to be okay if something happens to you because you're gone lots of the time and she doesn't know what you're encountering when you're out there. Simply put, our wives, our, the moms of our kids live under this pressure of insecurity. And so there are four primary ways you can relieve it. It's homework time. Can write these down maybe memorize them but it's homework time what are you going to do to help your wife you're the mother of your children with her insecurities first of all you need to be considerate there are a few things that create more insecurity for the wife and mother than harsh criticism explosive tempers swearing throwing things heaven forbid hitting i mean there for you it might be a simple emotional outburst that's out and gone for her it it shakes the foundation of her security for a very long time and hear me guys if you don't hear anything else i say today as a husband and as a father hear me the, your your wife and the mother of your children needs to feel one thing when she sees you she needs to feel safe she needs to feel secure and so you've got to be considerate of her w- when you're dealing with her besides guys I don't know if you recognize this or not, but your effectiveness in your prayer life is tied to how you treat your wives. Hello, are you out there? 1 Peter 3, verse 8 says, Husbands, be considerate of your wives, lest your prayers be hindered. So if you want God to answer your prayers, if you want God to give you the wisdom to be the husband and father you need to be, guess what's tied to that? Be considerate of your wife and the mother of your children. Number two, be supportive. Dr. Harley also said that our wives need not just security, but they need support. But hear me, when I say that your wife and the mother of your kids need support, that doesn't mean she needs a lot of stuff. Most of the the moms that I know will live in a shanty if she knows that her husband, the father of her children, is doing his best for the family. If he's doing the best he can do, she's, she's not bothered by what level you're currently at. But if she senses the dad is being lazy, or she senses the dad's being selfish with the family's money, let me just tell you right now, she may handle it well for a while, but pressure is building almost immediately. Because the moms in our lives need that sense of security that they're going to be supported. Number three, they need, you have to be trustworthy. Dependable dependability leads to security. Uh, Adam blew this one. I mean Abraham blew this one big time. There was a couple of times in their lives when they were traveling and they ran across these kings Abimelech one time, Pharaoh another time and uh, and and abraham knowing that they were going into a dangerous situation where these kings took whatever woman they women they wanted knowing that sarah was beautiful which is kind of amazing to me because at one point she was 65 and another point she was 90 but the kings still saw she was beautiful don't you ever kid yourselves lady you get more beautiful with age not less hello come on don't let anybody tell you otherwise how did, how did Abraham handle it? You remember this one? He lied about it. He said, tell you what, let's, let, let, let's just tell him you're my sister because <laughs> they'll kill me to have you. Liar, liar, pants on fire, coward. But she somehow stayed with him even though he was not trustworthy. He wasn't there for her in those moments. And eventually he became a godly man. But you need to understand that your wife needs that sense of of security from you and that's why when Kim and I go for a walk on a sidewalk guess where I walk I walk on the street side because if a car is going to jump the curb guess what it's going to hit me first we go to a hotel room what's the first question I ask Kim? some of you know which side of the bed do you want me to sleep on because if there's an intruder coming in I want you to know that I'm between you and the intruder why what am I saying I mean he could come in through the window I don't know what am I saying to her I'm saying I'm here to protect you I'm here to support you. I'm here to give you security. And that just sends a message, guys, that we have to send to our wives and the mothers of our children. There are very few things that do more damage than being untrustworthy. And hear me, trust takes a long time to build. It takes about that long to damage. Number four, you gotta be faithful. Unfaithfulness sweeps away a wife's security for a very long time even after we repent and find forgiveness and restoration uh, trust and confidence takes a long time to to rebuild it just takes a long time abraham and sarah had this problem nearly four thousand years ago sarah finally got so frustrated with this process of waiting for a son that she went to abraham one day and and said maybe you ought to just take a second wife and have a son by the second wife now hear me uh Sarah was wrong to suggest that, but Abraham was just dumb to say yes. <laughs> Can I get an amen in the house? Amen. Guys, have you figured out yet that sometimes your wife will suggest things to you that she doesn't mean? She may suggest, for instance, I look so terrible in this dress, you just go to the party without me. Don't go. Go, go she doesn't mean it what she's really saying is I feel insecure about how I look right now will you reassure me that I look okay to you I got a few little whispery amens it's all right ladies if you amen those things it's true she may say oh you don't have to buy me anything for mother's day I know you love me don't listen to her not true when sarah suggested that abraham have a baby by hagar he should have looked at her and said i only have eyes for you dear he was just stupid and if you never hear anything from me about husbands and wives during my tenure here hear this wives Your husbands are dumb. (laughs) I'm dumb. He's dumb. We all dumb. Don't mean we don't love you. We just dumb. Okay? That's what happens. He should have said God's made a promise. And while in the natural, it doesn't look like this is going to happen, but we're going to stand on God's word. We're going to trust God. Unfortunately, Abraham didn't do that. He did take a second uh, wife. Hagar had a child. And, uh, and the tension between those ladies began immediately. Eventually, Sarah goes to Abraham and says, how dare you put me in this position? To which Abraham says, ah, but you're the one told me to do it. I don't... The simple truth is that our wives need security from us and nothing undermines stability like infidelity. But hear me, guys, I'm not just talking about Having an extramarital affair. The most important human relationship in your life, if you're married, is your spouse. You might want to tweet that one. The most important human relationship in your life is your spouse. And if they ever think that they are second in human relationships to anybody, insecurity is going to come. And I know because I've made that mistake in ministry. Yeah, but, but we're serving the Lord, Kim. Say, you know, it's okay because we're serving the Lord. You know, I spent 25 days in the rainforest last month of the Philippines because we're serving the Lord. Never mind, she's home feeling insecure halfway around the planet without family or friends close by. We're serving the Lord. Well, that's dumb. My wife's the second most the most important human relationship the second most important relationship I have first with him and second with her and I know this can be a painful topic for many of us even when it comes to infidelity statistics tell me that 50% of married couples have had a failure and all I can say is if you have then just go the second mile from now on go the fifth mile, go to the tenth mile from now on do everything you can to assure her of your love because she needs security sarah faced the pressure of infertility she needed somebody to be sensitive to her needs during that period she faced the pressure of insecurity before she had a kid all of that happened so pressure number three became profound when she found out she was going to have a child sarah faced the pressure of child rearing Genesis chapter 21, verses 1 and 2. Now the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham. She's 90, but God does exactly what he promised he would do. The Bible says when she got the news, she laughed. And she said, everyone who gets the news with me will laugh with me too. She's ecstatic. When she gets the news, she's going to have a baby. She's she's happy. She's flying. She's fulfilled. She's fulfilled. I mean, but as you moms know, it wasn't long before it dawned on her that motherhood brings with it a lifetime of sleepless nights and constant anxiety. Am I right? I mean, every woman I've ever known, from the moment she finds out you're pregnant, her life has changed forever. Am I right? Every ambulance siren sounds different from that moment forward. Every news report that there's been a problem in a school, what if it's what, what school? Is it is it my child's school? I mean, there's just something that happens in the heart of moms, it's this this indescribable instinct. I call it mother love for lack of a a better term for it, but it defines her life from that point on, and the pressure never lets up. I mean, from birth. Is the baby okay from the first cold to the first tree climbing incident till they start school and, and how's he doing in his grades and are the other kids accepting him and, and in the teen years when he needs discipline, do I, do I listen to the voices that say let it go or do I listen to the voices say it's time for some tough love to when they're grown and they got families of their own and we're wondering if the grandkids are going to be okay. The pressure never goes away. I get it. We dads love our kids too, but it ain't the same. It just it ain't the same. We don't, we don't understand the pain of childbirth. Guys don't even pretend you understand. Not kidney stones. Nothing. All you do is you pay homage to every lady Doctor told me one time, if God had ordained it, that it went every other time. You know, the, 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 the dad had the, the first child, and mom had the second, dad had the third, mom had the fourth, he said every family would have three, because if it got dad's second time, he'd say, forget about it, it's not going to happen, nuh-uh. We don't get it, we don't understand, but from that moment on, we don't, it's just not the same. The pressure that moms feel, moms agonize over the kids, and we say, I nuke them, we'll make some more. I mean, it's just kind of it's a little bit different. In fact, when God wanted to communicate how much he loves us, you know the illustration that he used from Isaiah? Do you know that one? He said if a mama who was in the middle of breastfeeding her baby could forget that she had a child, then maybe I could stop loving you. When God wanted to communicate his love for us, he used the illustration of mother love us moms are just wired differently than we are in in fact i heard about the new season of survivor have you have you heard about the new you know they're always coming up with new ideas for survivor there's a new one coming out next season uh this one they take six men and they dump them in a remote place each one of them is issued one van and four kids for seven weeks Each child plays two sports plus music or dance. (laughs) To survive, each man has to keep the house clean, correct all the homework, complete the science projects, cook, and do laundry. During the seven weeks, he can only access the television when the kids are asleep and all the chores are done. And there's no remote control because the kids hid it. These men have to shave their legs, wear makeup every day, which they can only apply when the kids are not around, while they're making the kids' lunches. And they must make an Indian hut model with six toothpicks or tortilla and one magic marker. That's what they got to do. While the four-year-old is putting green beans up his nose. That's that's what he's got to do. And the winner? gets voted off the island and gets his old job back <laughs> you heard about that one right I'd watch that season so how do we help how do we relieve the pressures that the mothers of our children the mothers around us are feeling that when moms are asked they come up with two primary answers for this one number one is be helpful just just be helpful Don't wait until you're asked to take the trash out. Don't wait until you're asked six times to take the trash out. Just see that it needs to be done. When she has keys in her teeth and a kid in each arm and groceries squeezed between them, help. (laughs) That's all. I mean, when the dishes need doing, just do them. That's all. Don't brag about it later when you did. Just do them. Help. Does that make sense? The second thing is be appreciative. Just notice what she does. Pay attention to what she does. See how hard she works. I read a study not too long ago that that in dual-income families, which is a huge percentage these days, dual-income families, both husband and wife work full-time outside of the home, the wife still does 80% of the housework. That needs to change. We need to be more helpful. We need to be more appreciative in order to take the pressure off of the mothers in our lives. Sarah and most moms that I know face the pressure of infertility, we need to be sensitive to them. They face the pressure of insecurity, we need to be considerate and supportive and trustworthy and faithful. They face the pressures of child rearing, we need to be helpful and appreciative. Pressure number four is Sarah faced the pressure of a blended family. The pressure of a blended family. Genesis 21, 8 through 10. On the day Isaac was weaned, Abraham held a great feast. Sarah saw that the son whom Hagar had borne to Abraham was mocking. And she said to Abraham, get rid of that slave woman and her son. For that slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with my son Isaac. Did, did Did you follow this one? Again, we read these historical things and we just kind of gloss over them. But put yourself in that moment or put this family in our moment. And the reality of what's going on, Sarah's throwing a party for Isaac uh, to commemorate that he's weaned now. Ishmael is taunting him. Anybody ever seen older brothers taunting little brothers? Anybody ever seen that before? We have three sons. Two of them were born fairly close together, and then there was a four-year gap, when the third one was born, and 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 we didn't realize a lot of what was going on until later, but the two older ones were sometimes uh, unmerciful to the younger one. It was incredible, some of the things that they did. Zach eventually grew up. He'll be in 11 o'clock service this morning, lives here, it's part of the Bridge family, but uh, he, and I'm sure he'll affirm this story. He could tell stories, but he eventually grew up and got bigger than the other two, and they kind of stopped picking on him, but... Uh, I remember one time we found out that they had told him when he was very little that the TV remote caused cancer and uh, and they would point it at him and say, go get me some tea. (laughs) I mean, this is what older brothers do to little brothers. Come on, I mean, it's just true. But in this case, Sarah sees it. She turns to Abraham and says, it's her and her son. Or me and mine choose. Now, Abraham's in a bind. I mean, they're both his sons. He loves both of his sons. But he knows he created this mess. So he caves into Sarah's demands and destroys the family and starts a conflict that is raging to this day. That's what all the mess in the Middle East is about. There's a family dysfunction that just didn't get handled properly. Now, let me say quickly, there's good news. Blended families can work. They do all the time. I see it in our church family all the time. We've got some great ones here. But it does take a special measure of understanding and grace to do it. I mean, there are unique pressures in a blended family kind of environment. Parents sometimes disagree about discipline. Uh, kids sometimes resent being disciplined by of the step-parent. Kids sometimes are jealous of the new mate and make uh, his or her life miserable. Biological parents uh, often use the kids as pawns in the divorce wars that go on and on and on long after the divorce is signed. Kids see that tension and blame themselves for it and act out. Sometimes, sometimes that act out is defensive and sometimes it's counterattack. I mean, those are all the the pressures that are inherent in a step family, blended family kind of environment. And that's why we've got an awesome ministry here. If you're in a blended family, step family situation, I would highly encourage you to take advantage of it. On Wednesday nights, we've got the step family class. You can just come in, you can go online and fill out the form, become a part of that, uh, because it's a powerful opportunity to talk about with other people that understand these principles and go to the scriptures to find out how to deal with these things. But for now, there are four things you can do to relieve the pressure. We'll wrap up our time together. Number one, you can be forgiving. You begin by forgiving your ex-spouse. Do I need to say that again? Begin by forgiving your ex-spouse. Few things cause more stress for a child than caught, being caught between feuding parents. It's getting quiet in here. Worse, they see that unforgiving spirit and they bring it into the family and direct it at their new stepbrother or stepsister. First thing you can do is forgive. The second thing you can do is be committed. Have conversations together to say, we're in this forever. We are committed to this thing. We're, we realize we've got some work to do, but we are going to make this work. Dad especially mom and dad together especially you've got to be able to send that message parents you've got to commit to spend some private time with your biological kids so that they don't feel left out because of the stepkids that have entered into the scene you've got to spend some extra time kids you've got to commit to accept your step parent give them a shot give them a chance give them a real opportunity you've got to be committed number three you've got to be patient This new family's not gonna bond overnight. You've been thrust into a situation that you didn't uh, ask for, you didn't expect, didn't have time to prepare for, didn't grow into gradually. You gotta be patient and you gotta be realistic about expectations of one another. And then number four, you gotta be cooperative. Parents, you gotta work hard to agree on how you're gonna discipline in the back room before you come out and do the discipline. You gotta work hard to cooperate with one another. Kids learn how to play divide and conquer early. Can they get an amen from the parents in the room? And in a blended family situation, it's even easier because they can, they can find that chink in your armor quickly and begin to work. And guess who loses when they do that? Everybody loses. I got to close because I want to give you time to go out and practice all your homework. You wrote it all down, right? You, you took notes, you got it all. You ready to go do it? Bottom line is whatever pressures our moms face, it's our job to do our part to relieve them, especially if you call yourself a follower of Jesus Christ. Philippians chapter two is a familiar passage. We even talked about it during the last series, is that our attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. I don't know if you've ever thought of Jesus in these terms or not, but when it comes to infertility, Jesus never had children of his own. But let me tell you what i never saw anywhere in the scriptures i never saw jesus ridicule anyone for not having children never saw it when it comes to insecurity jesus never broke a promise in fact he said i will never leave you nor forsake you when it comes to child rearing jesus didn't have any children of his own but what did he do with the children it made him a priority He says to his disciples, Let these children come in because this is the kingdom of God. And he brought them up on his knee and he blessed them. When it comes to the pressures of a blended family, Jesus grew up in a blended family. He understands. Joseph was not his biological father. The offspring of Joseph and Mary were step brothers and sisters, and there's one point at which those brothers and sisters came to Jesus and said, dude, you need to come home, you're embarrassing us. They eventually recognized who he was and followed him, but they had those same kind of stresses. The bottom line is Jesus understands the pressures of mom and he honored the moms. In fact, perhaps the most honoring event word moms in all of history comes from the life of Jesus in John chapter 19 verses 26 and 7. Let's look at it together. When Jesus saw his mother there, Jesus is hanging on the cross. Mary is at the foot of the cross. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved, talking about John standing nearby, he said to his mother, dear woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, his disciple took her into his home. What did Jesus do? From the cross, and all that he endured leading up to that moment, he took the time to look down and say, John, I need you to take care of my mama. I need you to make sure mama's okay. You know I got to do this, but I need you to take care of mama. And John said, I got her. I'll take her into my home. It'll be like she's my mama. He said, okay, I'm good to go. If Jesus could take care of his mama in that moment, what could possibly be hindering us from doing what our moms need us to do? Let's pray. Father, thank you for the moms. Thank you for their lives. Thank you for... The way they endure the pressures that are inherent in motherhood and quite often without ever complaining, without ever showing it. Thank you that we have the opportunity, the privilege to help them deal with those pressures and I pray that we will. I pray that we will as individuals, I pray that we will as a church family make the commitments that we need to to make in order to be considerate and helpful and appreciative, that we be supportive and trustworthy and faithful, that we be forgiving and committed and patient. Make us more like You, Lord Jesus, and in so doing, communicate your love to the moms who have communicated love to us so clearly. Bless them today, I pray, and empower us to be your hands and feet in it. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen.